Hello and thank you once again for tuning into the Reptile Living Room. As always, I'm your host, John F. Taylor. And today's episode of the Reptile Roundtable, uh, what we're calling the Ohio edition, is being brought to you by Herpeticulture House Easing. Once again, it's Herpeticulture House Easing. That's, uh, you can find it at herphousemag.com, and I'll put that link in the show notes, uh, as well as some other uh, very, well, uh, very well put together links um, for some sites, uh, one of them being iHerp which is the Reptile Husbandry Program developed by one of our guests, Aaron Florian, uh, who runs and owns iHerp. Uh, it's a husbandry program that uh, basically, if you keep and breed animal, uh, reptiles at all, it's a great program. Uh, I played with it kind of when I was back, uh, back when I was breeding um, some snakes and things, and it, was just, and it was just great. It's an awesome program, so that'll be in the show, uh, show notes as well. And uh, today's edition is the Ohio edition. We are talking to Aaron Florian and Chris Law about the exotic animal ban uh, being proposed in Ohio. Uh, so without further ado, here's uh, myself, Aaron uh, Florian, as well as Chris Law talking about the proposed exotic animal ban in Ohio. So folks, today uh, we're kind of doing an emergency broadcast uh, bulletin, as it were, for the Reptile Living Room and uh, the Reptile Roundtable, and today we have with us, as usual, uh, your friend of mine, Chris Law, and we are um, graced with the presence of Aaron uh, Florian as well, uh, who also lives in Ohio and is knowledgeable in regards to the current, it's not even a snake ban anymore, it's just an, uh, I'm just going to call it a straight out animal ban, it's like if it has more than two legs, it's going to get banned, or if it has no legs, it's going to get banned, so... With that, I'll uh, open up the floor to you, gentlemen. Aaron, uh, give us some background on Ohio and what you've been doing lately. <laughs> uh, well, I run iHerp.com. Okay. And it's a, uh, it's a website where you can put your animals in and do your tracking on them. Right. Um, basically a very husbandry-oriented site. Yeah, very um, cool. One of the things that I set out to do is to try to bring some accountability to keepers because, you know, this industry definitely has its... Um, not so great people um, <laughs> yep. and, and having that accountability I thought was you know something very important and when I had uh, a bunch of chondros I wanted to keep track of them I'm a computer programmer I've been doing web development since the late 90s hmm. um, so I started doing a, a tracking thing online and it was going to be you know just for myself but obviously saw that there's a very easy way to make it for everybody so Sure. Um, IHERP launched in 2008, and as more and more of the legislation came around, um, really got kind of involved in that because uh, I, I worked on Capitol Hill for a very long time in uh, the late oh. 90s and early 2000s. Um, and as much as I hate politics, um, I kind of know it, and I know that side of things. Um, so I've been very active in... It's, it's been really easy with iHerp because the people that are on iHerp are very passionate and dedicated. They're there to do their tracking. They're there to do good by their animals. And they also want to keep their animals. They also love their animals and, and want to, you know, keep everybody having the ability to enjoy what they enjoy. Right. You know, they want their kids to be able to enjoy these animals as well. So uh, the, the legislative thing and, you know, beating down the doors of everybody in a state level or federal, um, we, we are definitely a very active, actionable community. 
Very cool. Very cool. So, what is your take on this new exotic band? I mean, it it literally seems like they're just going to bury everything, and there's no it doesn't there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason. I think you mentioned earlier it's like forty seven pages long. Uh, it is forty seven pages long, um, and this isn't a ban per se. Okay, it's just a very um, <laughs> the, the way that it's straight and it's originally written, um, it will be very difficult for the average Joe to keep and or propagate any of these animals. Wow. All right. <laughs> so what is what is the purpose behind this? Did, I mean, because like in, well, in Florida, you know, it seemed like uh, after the young girl had passed away from... Um, you know, the python attack due to uh, lack of responsibility of the owners there, that that's, you know, and I know the python legislation was going through before then, but it seemed like that really lit a fire under everybody. I didn't really see that in Ohio. Was Did I miss something? or? <laughs> um, the, the only thing that you may have missed is the Zanesville incident, and that kind of kicked off. Oh, um, yeah. That kicked everything off here into high gear. They were already working on anti-exotic legislation to begin with and then the whole Zanesville thing went down and right. that ramped everything up and then there was the um, the Debbie Debbie something um, she introduced a house bill that basically called for the banning I, I believe it was the outright banning of all constricting snakes um, so that was the first one what the <laughs> hell so you know your your ball pythons your corn snakes all of those would have been you know out the door um, that kind of stalled and there was a committee that was created to uh, take a look at this and, and they got you know HSUS involved and a lot of people came up with a 47 page document on exotics and that's where we are but you know there, there were no snakes involved in Zanesville but it, it seems like any chance that the opposition gets to throw as many animals into a ban as they can, they're going to take it. Wow. Now, because they're not a ban, this is just heavily restricted ownership. Right, heavily restricted uh, legislation. <laughs> Cost prohibitive at this point. Right. And they're talking about, you know, danger, they're considering these dangerous wild animals, meaning, uh, means any of the following, including hybrids, unless otherwise specified. And, I mean, well, sadly, Komodos are a dangerous wild animal, according to Ohio. Um, as are alligators, as are crocodiles, as are caimans, right. including the dwarf caimans. Um, so those are on the dangerous <coughs> list. But what I'm, what I'm wondering, though, I've always wanted a little baby Komodo. Well, what I was wondering, Aaron and Chris, where are you guys going to put your hippopotamuses? Do you guys keep in the bathtub? Well, actually, I had to move mine out of the bathtub, and I, I stuffed them into a 20-gallon for now. Oh, nice. <laughs> all right. You know, mine are, mine are all yeah, he's he's, he's kind of acting a little pissed off <laughs> right now, so I'm thinking about moving him up to a 75 just to kind of give him a little bit of room. You know, I know I'm being extra extraordinarily generous here. <laughs> exactly. Unbelievable. <laughs> so those four um, reptiles are on the dangerous list, and they're, they're making a separate distinction between dangerous animals and a restricted snake um, restri restricted snakes are anacondas 
retics, berms, afrocks, um, amethystine, and strangely enough, boa constrictors yeah. are on here. And it seems like that's not going to make the final cut. I think a lot of people are up at arms on that because that's one of the you know most popular pet trade animals. Right, um, right. So it's very unfeasible, and, and there's an economic impact that they have to address with all of this. Um, so, so I think that that's probably going to be thrown out. Okay. Uh, but, but by no means is that any actual information. That's just right. Like, right. That's just kind of a gut feeling. Gotcha. Now, what is? I'm kind of wondering what is meant by restricted snake versus dangerous animal. Have they identified uh, that at all? There are different provisions for each. Okay. Um, the the dangerous animal um, has a lot more crap that you've got to do um, and the restricted snake is more kind of a permit thing okay. where you have to apply for a permit and then based on uh, whether you receive the permit or don't receive the permit um, you have to pay uh, I, I think if you got over 16 snakes or something um, uh, it should be uh, three. Uh, if you have around three snakes, it's only a hundred dollars. Four to fifteen, it's three hundred dollars. Sixteen snakes, five hundred dollars. Um, and then you have to have liability insurance as well. Um, if you have fewer than five snakes, it's a hundred thousand dollar insurance policy. Six to fifteen snakes, two hundred fifty thousand dollar insurance policy. And sixteen snakes, just adding one more snake, you have to double to five hundred thousand uh, dollars because obviously you know each of these five snakes are potentially going to be able to do you know if you add six you know a few more then they're going to be able to do substantially more damage than just one getting out by itself or right. whatever and you're, so therefore you're, you know it's going to create a catastrophe if you know one of these snakes gets out so now you know something that hasn't been brought up a lot that i've been thinking about a lot actually and this has been by no means uh, um, a dig or meant to be derogatory toward law enforcement in any way, but I have seen it personally when I used to work in the shops that, you know, um, fishing game or even law enforcement officers would call us to come out to identify, you know, they were doing a drug seizure, whatever. They would call us to come out and pick up stuff you know, being reptiles and stuff, they wouldn't know what the heck they were looking at. So they would look at a they would look at a ball python and go and ask me, "Is that venomous?" <laughs> you know, and this is fishing game. Well, number one, if it's a snake, it's automatically venomous to just about anybody that you know sees one. I mean, but, it's automatically going to be something. <laughs> substantial damage. They see a garter snake. This thing is deadly. But dude, you this know, is fishing game. These people are supposed to be able to you know identify <laughs> imported animals, and they're asking me, you know, is that king snake venomous? I'm like, oh dear lord. <laughs> yeah, well, see, that's the problem. See, that, you know, that's just it. I mean, they, they only cover you know native wildlife in most cases. And right. That's really it. I mean, they don't really know how to identify these animals. So, yeah, they got their little guidebooks, and they can flip through pages, but most of them are too impatient to sit there and actually study the details of each snake or whatever, so they'd much rather just call somebody else in that should know a lot more about these animals than what they do. Uh, I've had to do it numerous times myself, so, you know, they tip me, and, 
and generally it works out much, much better that way. You do, trust me, you do not want them trying to identify these animals on their own. Well, that's what I'm saying is, you know, because I'm reading this, you know, uh, where is it? Law enforcement means a sheriff, deputy sheriff, constable, police officer of a township or joint police district, marshal, deputy marshal, municipal police officer, or state highway patrol trooper. Now, I mean, let's say he just, you know... I mean, think about it. You know, I brought this up with the uh, python ban. Right now, they've only got, they've got four snakes that are on the list. Now, you know, yeah, retics and green anacondas are not currently banned on the, uh, on the uh, Lacey Act. But what if I tried to cross state lines with my retic? Are they really going to be able to tell me the difference between my Burmese python and a retic? Right. So, and really, how many of our state highway patrolmen are really going to be that well up to, uh, up to date on the Lacey Act anyways? You know, and that's just it, you know, is, you know, are we, are we really being almost paranoid for no reason almost, do you think? Well, I mean, and, and well, it, it can be a little bit difficult. I mean, okay, here's where the conflict come, come, come into play. Uh, is it unlikely that, you know, if you're going to get pulled over, sure. I mean, you, you know, as long as you do a speed limit, you're not doing anything incredibly stupid, you're probably not going to get pulled over in the process of moving or, or right. taking your snakes with you. You probably don't really have that much to worry about when it comes to law enforcement. Here's where your issue comes into play. If you move from, let's say, another state, you know, like I move from here and I move to Florida. Now, once I get there and I try to get my snakes permitted in Florida, well, they might have, have want to question, well, where did you obtain this animal? You just moved here from this state. You got your licenses, yada, yada, yada. Where did you mm-hmm. obtain this animal from? And if you don't have any proof that you obtained your animal from within that statement, that state, that might catch you up. They might catch it. They may not. It's hard to say, but that's where your biggest risk comes into play is if you move to a state that does require permits for these animals, such as Florida, as an example. Florida is going to be more well-versed on this than practically any other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> that, that, that's, that, there's where your catch is because you know, Florida is going to be far more well-versed on this whole process than any other state in the, in the rest of the 49. Right. So... You know, all the others, unless they have an all-out ban period on them in the first place, then in that case, you're keeping them illegally anyhow. So, you know, one way or the other, you're screwed. Yeah, gotcha. All right. So, Aaron, um, what can people, I mean, we were talking about this earlier before the actual interview started. You know, I think we can all agree that people are just fed up and tired. They just... I don't think there's really a general direction for them to go, and they're just beat. They just feel like they're beaten down and they're done. What do we do? Well, the uh, the bill is still in committee. Okay. Um, the proponents' hearing was last week. The opponents' hearing is this Tuesday. Okay. Um, I have put on iHerb and on Facebook a list of the people that you can call who are on the committee. Unfortunately, not a lot of people have called them, and. Uh, their their offices have said we haven't really heard a lot of opposition to SB 310. Wow. So on Monday, uh, Monday's really the last day because the um, opponent's hearing is on Tuesday. Right. So we need to get into their heads right now that, hey, you know what? When I'm looking at this thing, um, there are people that have a problem with it, and there are things in it that are just downright wrong. Right. You know, uh, I, I don't believe, and again, it's 47 pages, and I, I don't know it as well as I would like to at this point, uh, but Chris and I were talking earlier that with a 
uh, with an eyelash viper, um, you're, you're required to have anti-venom for any venomous snake that you get a permit to keep. And I don't know that they make that. I don't know how readily available any anti-venom is to any human um, that's not in the business, you know, just a private owner. Um, yeah. <laughs> shelf life is an issue. Yeah. And cost is an issue. Um, so, you know, there, there are all these things that, yeah, in theory, it sounds lovely that, you know, oh, it'd be great. You know, if I, if I could go to Walmart and pick up some rattlesnake anti-venom for yeah. a while, that would be fantastic. Exactly. not the reality of it. And just the same going to State Farm or Allstate or whoever your insurance carrier is and saying, I need a million dollar policy for the rattlesnakes that I keep. Um, you know, if you tell if you tell your insurance agent that you have corn snakes, they'll drop you. From what I've heard, so there are wow. all these kind of catch twenty twos that are not allowing us to keep the animals that we love and want to keep, or that we already have. Um, so right now, the the call to action is to call the list of people who are on the committee okay. and tell them you oppose it. It's a very simple call. You call them. You'll most likely talk to an aide, which is going to be an intern. Um, they're very eager. They're very uh, willing to talk to people and just be polite. Don't say, you know, this this sucks, and you know, drop f bombs and right. all that crap on them. Um, be polite. Be intelligent. I mean, be a scientist. Call as a, a you know, you're kind of like a home hobby scientist, and that's why you keep these animals because they're really cool and they're interesting, and you know, the fact that they can move without legs. Is really cool, you know. I mean, yeah. that's, that sounds kind of like a simple ten-year-old thing, but that part is in all of us, you know. Yeah, oh, totally. We're doing this is because they're such intriguing, wonderful, special animals, and the people on the other side of the the phone don't know that they don't they don't see it like we see it. So our job is to say, you know what, um, these animals are really cool. Like a, a Burmese is is a really cool animal, and there are people that are definitely capable. Well very well capable of, of handling these animals and taking care of them. Right, um, right. There's no reason that the people who are responsible in this industry should be punished for the people who are not, or by the people who are not. That's so, a great way to put it. <laughs> um, you know, the call to action, call them, get that going, and then hopefully there will be some revisions, and this will be loosened up a bit. Um, this then goes to Senate and House. There's a companion House bill which I am not familiar with. I, I, I think it's a copy-paste of the Senate bill. Um, okay. When you have those two bills popping at the same time, that means that they want to push this through fast. Gotcha. So um, after the opponent's hearing, we've got to get into every senator and House rep and tell them, you know, th this is not good, assuming that what they come up with is, is similar to how restrictive it is now. Okay, all right, and uh, just for the audience uh, listening, I will have those links that uh, Aaron just mentioned will be in the show notes, so you guys can while you're listening to uh, to the show, you can actually just click on the links, and I'll make it op uh, make the link so it opens in a separate window, so you can actually continue listening, and that way you can um, go to those links without losing any content from the interview itself. And I will also put a link to uh, iHerp as well in the show notes so you guys can check out the uh, husbandry program that Aaron's put together. So, Chris, what's, uh, I mean, you and I have talked 
talk this thing to death about how you and I would love to handle this. <laughs> well, what's the uh, proper legal <laughs> initiatives that you um, could add to this that Aaron just spoke about? as far as you know, making sure that when you call, you have to be responsible, you have to be mature, you cannot attack these people. You know, I don't care what, what anybody tells you. These, yeah, they work for you, so to speak, but if you can't walk march into their office and fire them right away, you, they still have far more power than you do. Right. So it's still important to keep that in mind. The only way you're getting them out of office is to vote them out, but that's assuming you are still not outvoted. You know, yeah, yeah. they work for you, but they also work for everyone else as well. So we have a lot stacked against us. Right. Uh, the Zanesville incident caused a big stink in Ohio. And you know what? Honestly, a guy turning 50 large carnivorous mammals loose, I think that does that, that deserves a little bit of, of merit when it comes to people being concerned about how people are keeping certain types of animals. Uh, yeah. If it's that easy, it, it, you know, it, it's going to sit in the back of people's mind. What we have to do is a show where the difference between a responsible and sane, you know, very important part here, a sane keeper will behave with their animals. Right. Uh, this guy has had a, a long history of problems. I, I had it out with him back in 2004. This guy was not all there, all right? And just, just to put it bluntly, mm -hmm. um, this, it's not really that much of a surprise that what happened, happened. Okay. So we have to be able to demonstrate. That, and Aaron had also said uh, that when you call in to demonstrate that you are somewhat of a private scientist, you know, private scientist, private conservationist, anything of that nature can be utilized to, to display your level of dedication, knowledge, and experience with these animals. Um, if you call in and you're just basically saying, well, yeah, you know, it's not your right to take away my animals, then, you know, they're going to just basically just, any time that you attack anybody like that in that way, a brick wall goes up and any ability to reason goes out the window. Right. You want to be able to keep the dialogue open. You want to explain to them the reason why you are a responsible owner. You want to explain to them the reason why this means so much to you. If you can't do that, if you don't really feel that you can work that adequately, then you might want to try to work with some others, maybe uh, try, maybe write it out a few times and present it to a couple friends of yours or something like that that are, that are mm -hmm. really good at, uh, you know, at, at uh, editing and, and see if they can help you to fine-tone your, uh, your statement a little bit better. Right. Uh, because this is important. This is critical, especially when you're down to the last wire. Right. Uh, th this is all the more important at this point. And that's something I wanted to point out too, guys, is, you know, we are, well, not we, but you guys are down to the wire now, just like Aaron just said, you know, this stuff comes down to Tuesday. So today's Saturday, you know, we've only got, you know, one day to really make a difference. And, you know, that's... That's not a lot. We've got one day to get in their ear. Yeah. And we've, we've just got to get that message out that, you know what, we do oppose this. Yeah. The opponents, there are going to be plenty of people... Um, in Columbus on Tuesday that are physically going to go down there, give testimony. Um, there, you know, There's a form that you fill out and you write what your opposition is and why these things are important to you. And anybody who's in Ohio, I, you know, if you can make it down on Tuesday, um, by all means, make it down on Tuesday. It, it's a very, very important day for everybody. So if, if you can 
get there, uh, definitely get there. Yeah. I believe it's at 10.30 in the morning is when the hearing is. Okay. Um, and the final thing, or one of the final things, Ohio and exotics, we, you know, we haven't had any law to speak of up till this point, and this is what's on the table, and Ohio is not going to get out of this without some laws against or in relation to exotics. Right. So this is not going to get thrown out. No. This is not going to get shut down and ignored or forgotten, predominantly because of the Zanesville incident. But you also had uh, the executive order from Strickland when he was on his way out the door, and that's what really kicked all this into high gear and, mm. and put this on the table. So you had the executive order from Strickland. Um, Kasich let it expire, but Kasich is very, very in tune with what happened in Zanesville, all mm-hmm. of the exotics. Um, so it, something's going to happen here. Right. And we just need to minimize how punitive it is towards the responsible keepers. Yeah. Because, you know, in our in our opinions, you know, the responsible keepers far outweigh the irresponsible ones, so it's... Right, but they make the most noise and they get the biggest headlines. Right, because right. sensationalism sells and, yeah. Yeah, you don't... Well, I mean, there, there's uh, that, and we also have to keep in mind that this isn't, you know, while this was pretty much the icing on the cake for us at this point, uh, we, we've been fighting this, you know, the, the, these bills since 2004. I mean, in a, in a critical level. I mean, we've always had little county and city issues that have come up, and we've had, like, brief, you know, mentions of it in, in the state before that. But since 2004 was a very critical point because that's when the very first serious Ohio ban first tried to get attempted to be passed. Uh, we shut it down very, very quickly. And, he, and here's the thing. This is what people have to keep in mind. Um, does that mean that we all, that every member in Ohio has to step up and go, go stomping down on, you know, the uh, doorsteps of the Capitol? No. But um, we've always been able to stop these bills with just a handful of people. But those individuals were very well versed on the le- on the legislation. They were very well versed on, you know, what's happened to trigger these situations. Most of the time it was a, resu- it was a result of, of somebody else's irresponsibility. We had a bear that got loose and attacked somebody's next-door neighbor. Um, whereupon, and then that same individual also had a bear go and attack and kill one of his own workers uh, a couple of years later. So, you know, we, we've had a series of different issues. We had an African lion escape and start chasing uh, cars up and down U.S. 23 several years ago. It, we've had a, a steady stream of various little issues that continues to sit in people's minds whenever, you know, stuff like this comes up. So now that the Zanesville situation has happened, they look back in the history, they look back and see, you know, what bills attempted to get passed back then, and they notice, well, We've continued to try to pass them there. Obviously, you know, these problems aren't going to go away because Ohio is not trying to regulate itself. And this is what the reptile community and, well, the exotic animal community as a whole needs to try to take a lesson from. You know, yeah, these situations might be very spare. They might be isolated incidents. But we have an opportunity to take a look at our situation and try to start policing ourselves better. Don't be afraid to call out somebody if they are being irresponsible. You know, this is something that we have to try to do, and I and I, I believe fully in unity. But we can't have unity unless people start, you know, 
being willing to step up to the plate and realize if something's not, you know, if something's wrong, we need to try to correct it ourselves. Otherwise, somebody much higher than us is going to come down and do it for us. Right, which we've already seen, you know, you know, this is basically what it's come down to. You know, is if we don't step up to the plate and police our own darn community, somebody else is going to do it for us, and we're not going to like it. <laughs> Absolutely. So... And that's exactly where we're at right now. I mean, we, we are at the point where we have continuously pushed buttons. And, you know, we, we uh, the Columbus Zoo, and, and this really shames me because uh, Jack Hand is probably one of the biggest animal peddlers of all time. Oh, God. And <laughs> yet, yet, you know, he's you know, continuously now bad-mouthing private owner, animal ownership. We, Jack Hanna, uh, at, at one point used to um, be very supportive of responsible private animal ownership, but one of his, the biggest points here is that he is not differentiating that for the most part. I have seen him, especially with the python ban, uh, he did make mention that there are reputable breeders out there that provide great quality animals, and his zoo has acquired some. In fact, uh, his zoo has two retics from Bob Clark. Well, you know, he, well, two at different times. Um, so he does understand that there is a difference between um, just an exotic animal keeper and a private and a responsible private exotic animal keeper. So, but he is doing a very, very piss poor job, in my opinion, of helping the public and the rest and the media to be able to understand that there is that difference. So we are now, we have the Columbus Zoo that was stacked, stacked up against us, and at one point in time, we actually had to go to the Cincinnati Zoo, appear to uh, appeal to the director there, to, which he is also very, very supportive of uh, responsible private exotic animal ownership. He then contacted uh, Jack Hanna and had him pull his support from the past previous two bills. Unfortunately, that didn't work this time. Hmm. So, well, and the Cleveland Zoo is also um, a proponent of this legislation, and they've got a, uh, I, I believe it's an HSUS, either made by them or distributed by them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, do not, you, private people should not keep uh, exotic, quote unquote, animals. Um, so it's, you know, it's it's kind of sad because I grew up living at the Cleveland Zoo, and I loved it, and I loved seeing all the animals that they had there, and that's one of the things that fostered my interest in reptiles and fostered what you see in IHERP and responsible ownership. Um, and now they're just slapping me in the face and telling me, you know what, even though we fostered this interest in you and this passion and love in you, you know, fuck you, you can't. You can't have that anymore, and and that totally sucks. I mean, that's that's wow. boycott material right there. Yeah. Because if, if you're <laughs> going to do that to me and then tell me, you know what, you can't, you, your kids aren't going to be able to experience the same things that you did. No, no, not on my watch. Absolutely. I mean, it, it is. It, it's disheartening when it comes down to that. But you know, at the same time, I mean, I think that we're going to kind of go back to some of our discussion before uh, uh, we started recording. Um, this is kind of keep cool and, and realize that yes, can this happen? Will this affect you? Yes. Can we get uh, some strict legislation that could equate to a ban? Yes. But it's not the end of the world at this point. You know, we, you know, exotic animals and just animal owners in general have overturned bans in the past. Uh, pit bull owners are doing it right now in various states. You know, so this right here, we can use this as an opportunity to show people that there is a difference. You know, what some people perceive as a threat and a danger really is not the threat and danger that they are making it out to be. 
So we have to be able to help just demonstrate that. But again, that's only going to come down to us. If we can demonstrate what a true um, professional private keeper is like, then we have an opportunity to step up to the plate and demonstrate the reason why we can handle these animals. We can offer them a great quality of life in captivity. And we are a value and an asset to conservation worldwide, not just in our own backyards. Right. Well, gentlemen, I think... uh well, I think a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of things I really want to say, but I'll just <laughs> I'll just let this wrap up. Um, Aaron, any final thoughts as far as you know, other than you know, doing what we're supposed to do and getting out there and making the phone calls? Anything else that you can think of to you know? Do you think there's hope? <laughs> I guess it it's a it's a very tough time, and the fact that the reptile community, the reptile nation, whatever you want to call it, um, continues to infight and take all the aggression out on the people who are on the same team on Facebook and on forums is doing absolutely nothing for us. You know, calling out different people and, and it's just, it's, it's gotten to the point where we will be the demise of ourselves because we simply cannot get on the same page and get our shit together. And it's really sad because, you know, we are on the same team. None of us want legislation, but it's coming. You know, it's, it's, we're at a point in society in the United States of America, um, there's going to be legislation. It's going to come. And the better we can make it on the first shot, the less we're going to be hassled down the road. Because, it, it, you know, if you sit here and just say, you know, oh, fuck the government and, you know, they don't need to be in our business, I, I totally agree with that. I, I, I don't want the government in my face on what I can and can't keep. Right. Um, because, but, but at the same token, I am your classic responsible owner. I'm not letting my chondros free range out in you know, out in the wild of Cleveland. Um, I, I take great care of my animals. I don't abuse them. I'm not keeping Burmese pythons in a, you know, 20-gallon aquarium. Um, so I'm the responsible guy. I don't want to be hassled. However, if there's reasonable legislation that's not punitive, that's not exorbitantly expensive, and doesn't require things that you can't get, um, you know, that, it, in my opinion, reasonable legislation if the government is capable of doing that, is fine by me. What we're seeing in Ohio right now is not reasonable legislation. Absolutely. I mean, it is excessive. And uh, some of the things that we need to start working on as a community, uh, because some of the things that I've seen between, you know, uh, different people that have been affected by different bills and legislation that have been passed in other states, you know, they claim, well, you know, it seems all well and great until you slip up here, you make a small mistake here, and then you get a book thrown at you. And I understand that this, and sometimes, yes, law enforcement oversteps their legal bounds, um, especially if we, you have a situation that allows law enforcement to be a, a, an ultimate judge as to whether or not you're keeping proper care of your animals, things like that. These are things that you have to keep in mind. You, uh, we need to try to work to get legal counsel. We need to see what type of attorneys might actually be willing to start looking at this and maybe specialize this as a case as far as um, 
you know, where law enforcement has overstepped their bounds. Uh, this could be a moment where we need to step up and see who is willing to help us out. Uh, there are attorneys that are exotic animal keepers and might be willing to step up and see if we can start overturning some of this stuff and try to balance what regulations that we do get so that they are fair and they are not, you know, they are not too hard pressed against us so this way we cannot continue to do what we love while also at the same time preventing morons from being able to just you know, affect us with their irresponsibility. Uh, I think uh, you know one of our good friends, Andy. He, he had basically said it very, very bluntly and, and very succinctly. We have the right to enjoy our community responsibly without being affected by other people's irresponsibility. Yeah. So we have to try to step up and and make sure that there is that balance in play. So this way we can all be enjoying what we do without having to be affected by somebody else's stupidity. Very true. So there you go. That was another edition of the Reptile Roundtable, uh, the Ohio edition, actually. And uh, we were joined by Aaron Florian of IHERP and Chris Law of Crocodopolis. So, Ohio, here's your chance. You've got to get up and make the difference. You've got to make those phone calls, make something happen. Otherwise, we're gonna, you yourselves are going to lose your privileges for actually not owning just snakes, but also pretty much all the exotic animals that we do keep, uh, whether we're snake keepers or, you know, uh, keepers of large uh, mammals or what have you, we're all going to be affected by this. So now it's time to make that call, make the difference. Um, and again, be professional. Don't be dropping a bunch of F-bombs on people and stuff like that. That's not necessary. It does make you look very unprofessional when you do do it. So be respectful, you know, and call and make the difference. And once again, we are brought to you by uh, HerbHouseMag.com. That's her pediculture house easy. We would love for you to drop by, grab a subscription, grab an issue even, just one. Check it out. Uh, give us a tumble. I guarantee you will not be dis- you will not be unhappy with it. Uh, it's the only reptile magazine out there that is dedicated to more content rather than advertisement. Uh, you won't flip through the pages of advertisement after advertisement of crap you don't want. It'll be just straight content with one page of advertisement all the way in the back. There's the page for our writers. Uh, who write about the species that they care for and enjoy. Uh, basically from your guys' perspective, you know, it's about keep, it's written about keepers uh, from a keeper's perspective, basically. So do give us a tumble, herphousemag.com. We would love to check you out, uh, have you check us out, and uh, throw some comments uh, right up there on the show notes. We'd love to hear from you folks. We know you're listening. There's, we know you're listening, trust me. There's enough, uh, <laughs> there's enough traffic to the site. So once again, folks, I'm your host, John F. Taylor. We will see you next week in the Reptile Living Room. And hopefully there won't be have to be an emergency edition again. But I'm sure there will because reptiles are not everybody's favorite pets. Anyway, folks, have a great one. Uh, stay hungry for the drink. Mm-hmm.